Iowa caucus app's potential for hacking, concerns regarding search engines for faces, and 10 steps to ensure business continuity from the coronavirus outbreak. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. If the Iowa caucus debacle caused by a malfunctioning mobile app is anything to go by, we're in for a pretty bumpy ride with the upcoming election reporting. Not only did the app crash, causing a significant and ongoing delay in reporting of results, but the app itself was found to be vulnerable to hacking due to a lack of transmission safeguards, according to experts at Vericode. Tell us more. It's RSMG's Managing Editor, Security and Technology, Jeremy Cook. If the Democratic Party's experiment with a new tabulation app during the Iowa caucuses is the warm-up for a nutty mix of voting and technology this election year, then we're in for a ride. But what happened in Iowa isn't a technology problem, or it is on the surface. But the greater one is that it's a human problem, and one that's rooted in a failure to properly evaluate risk. Iowa's much-anticipated caucus results were delayed after a mobile app commissioned by Iowa's Democratic Party malfunctioned. The app was designed to let precinct officials more quickly report results. But a variety of problems emerged. Sometimes the app couldn't be downloaded. If it was downloaded, it wouldn't start or people couldn't log in. However, there doesn't appear to be any evidence or hacking at this point. The app was developed by Colorado-based Shadow Inc., which describes itself as a for-profit technology consultancy for political campaigns. The company has now apologized. The existence of the app only came out a few weeks ago. At that time, it was unknown who developed the app, whether it had been adequately tested or even audited for security vulnerabilities. NPR reported that Iowa's Democratic Party didn't want to reveal more information for fear of helping hackers. Now, as we all know, the security by obscurity approach is exactly the wrong one and one that rarely results in positive security outcomes. Any application that has a role in election infrastructure should be open for inspection and audits by a wide community of experts. And the message from computer security experts has been clear. Using the internet or even computers as part of any sort of voting system is inherently dangerous these days. Network connectivity opens up all the usual vectors for attack, and electronic voting machines have long been found to be vulnerable. But what's most concerning about the Iowa situation is that despite heightened awareness around election security and interference over the last four years, leaders aren't making the right decisions about risk. The first caucus of the 2020 election season isn't the time to hastily deploy a new app that will be relied upon to deliver accurate results. That's purely a call made by humans. The stakes are too high to deploy something faulty. It's almost as if Iowa's Democratic Party didn't ask itself, what if this all goes poorly? Luckily for Iowa, there's a tried and true backup, paper. The caucus results were recorded on paper, which once counted will provide reliable results. So the lessons of Iowa are already being acknowledged. Nevada State Democratic Party had planned to use a similar app as the one that Iowa used, but has scrapped it. That's the right decision, but one that's only been made in light of Iowa's woes. Let's hope the political parties and election officials haven't taken on other secret risks this election season. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. The combination of facial biometrics with AI is a growing cause for concern, partly because of its Orwellian undertones, 
but perhaps more so because it's actually coming to fruition with search engines that are scraping publicly available photographs from social networks and other sites and then using them for facial recognition purposes. One of these is Clearview AI, a company that has scraped billions of online faces thus far. With the story, is ISM News Executive Editor, Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz. A company called Clearview AI is causing waves by offering what it says is a search engine for faces. The company says its product is used by more than 600 law enforcement agencies. Its pitch is that it's scraped 3 billion public internet images from such sites as Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Venmo to produce its search engine for faces that has a claimed accuracy rate of 99.6%. Right now we have, you know, billions and billions of images from millions of different websites all across the open internet. That's Clearview's founder, an Australian man called Hon Ton Tet, speaking with CBS News. He argues that what his New York-based company provides is a biometric version of the Google search engine. Google can pull in information from all different websites. So if it's public, you know, and it's out there, and it can be inside Google search engine, it can be inside ours as well. Tontet also says his company is only offering its services to law enforcement. Critics, however, say that could easily change in the future. The company's business practices first came to widespread light via a New York Times report last month. Federal and state law enforcement officers told the newspaper that while they didn't know how Clearview worked under the hood, they had used its app to help solve shoplifting, identity theft, credit card fraud, murder, and child sexual exploitation cases. The Times also reported that Clearview is planning future features, such as compatibility with virtual reality glasses, to enable real-time facial recognition in the field. After the report appeared, however, condemnation of Clearview by privacy experts and some government officials was swift. Questions also persist over the ethics of what it's doing and how it might be used for mass surveillance. Already, a class action lawsuit has been filed against the company, alleging that it violates Illinois state laws concerning biometric data. New Jersey banned all police in the state from using the technology, pending an investigation into what safeguards are in place to govern its use. And Facebook and Twitter have both said that the company's scraping violates their terms of service. Massachusetts Senator Edward Markey says the company's product appears to pose particularly chilling privacy risks and says he is deeply concerned that it is capable of fundamentally dismantling Americans' expectation that they can move, assemble, or simply appear in public without being identified. He's written to the company seeking answers to multiple questions, including the names of all of the law enforcement agencies currently using the tool. Tontin says, legally speaking, however, he believes his company is in the clear. There is also a First Amendment right to public information. So the way we have built our system is to only take publicly available information and index it that way. Many legal experts agree, saying that while products such as Clearview might be creepy, at a national level at least, they're not illegal. But Clearview's practices reveal a bigger problem, which is that any startup that's able to scrape this much data could potentially use it to train neural networks and build similar facial recognition tools. Technology giants might argue that this violates the terms of service, but what's to stop future companies or even unfriendly governments from doing the same? 
On a potentially related note, this week a team of researchers at Facebook say that they've created a system designed to watermark images in a way that allows them to track whether the image was used to train a neural network. Such machine learning training involves fingerprinting the images so a system can find an optimal way, for example, to identify different individuals' faces. But the system designed by the Facebook researchers has created watermarks that are also fingerprinted by the neural network. While that's no outright solution to the problem of big data biometrics companies scraping billions of public-facing images, this approach might at least allow researchers to identify when large sets of images have been used to train neural networks. For a full fix, however, including on the privacy front, at least in the US, legal experts say lawmakers would probably have to pass a federal privacy law that prohibits the mass scraping of images to feed facial recognition systems. But until and unless Congress acts, expect to see many more clear views. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. In the realm of cybersecurity, viruses are typically of the electronic kind, impacting computer networks and data. But biological viruses should also be a serious consideration for business continuity, as the impact of the coronavirus continues to spread. In that context, ISMG's SVP of Editorial, Tom Field, spoke this week with Regina Phelps, founder of Emergency Management and Safety Solutions, and an internationally recognized expert in the fields of crisis management, exercise design, and business continuity and pandemic planning. Tom asked Regina what business continuity teams should be considering for organizations today to prepare for potential impacts. Here's her response. That's a really great question. So first of all, and I want to really um, build off your comment about media. Um, when you're doing a gathering of situational awareness, and situational awareness is simply defined as what's going on right now, is that you need to be highly sensitive to the information that you're receiving. And what you need to do is that you need to really look carefully at all information that you're uh, thinking of producing and sending forward. So our general rule in our client population is that we want to always, always have at least two sources or three to validate any information. I don't pull anything off of social media without doing triple validation. There are so many crazy theories right now about the coronavirus. Anything from the CIA releasing the virus into the United States to things such as rats from level four labs in Wuhan being released, causing this particular outbreak. And a zillion others. So you need to really be careful in your situational awareness. So that's the first thing I would just say to you. For what business um, continuity individuals should be doing at their company, what I would really say is I've got kind of 10 things that are on my shopping list for people to be doing right now. They should be working their infectious disease and pandemic plan. So hopefully they've got that in their hot hands. They're revising it and modifying it in real time. If they don't have one, they need one. So they've got to have some idea of what they're going to be doing with their organization and that needs to be in a very thoughtful way. The second thing is that they really need to be developing regular and very likely daily situation status reports for the crisis management team and the executive team so that there's a uniform piece of information that everybody is using to make decisions about. And if you're looking for a sample or an idea of what a good sit stat report looks like, I would direct your attention to the WHO website. They actually have done a lot of work to turn their current sit stat report into really a fine document. And it's a great template to consider when you're actually looking at what you would do yourself. 
The third thing is you've got to be looking at your supply chains. Um, and many companies are acutely doing that already. And many might be sitting back thinking, well, you know, it's not going to really impact us at all. I would not be so sure. Try and find a mask any, anywhere in the United States right now. Try and find gloves. Um, just basic things uh, are almost impossible to find. And that could happen to you as well in other parts of your company. The fourth thing I would say to you is I would really encourage you to be communicating with your key stakeholders about what your plans are and what's going on with you. You certainly want to be communicating with your employees, but also you should be ready from an investor relations perspective uh, to your key customers to talk about what your status is and what's going on. Many of my clients are being approached uh, as a third party vendor, for example, to understand what's going on with their uh, response, or what kind of impact are they having. So that should be something, there should be standard talking points that everybody should be using to talk about the same thing going on so you don't have miscommunication. So the communication to your stakeholders is super important. Uh, the fifth thing I would say is that you should really be educating your employees on what I would call smart health habits. I mentioned that earlier. And hopefully you're doing it anyway because it is flu season. So good hand washing, cough hygiene, and really telling people to stay home when they're sick. We don't need coughing hacking people at the office. I would also include uh, number six would be marketing the importance of your company emergency notification system. Hopefully you have an emergency notification system, but that is only as effective as the information that's in it. So an emergency notification system, as you know, can be used to send out emergency messages to your employees with a flick of a switch and, and contact everybody simultaneously. But of course, it's only as good as the contact information that you have. And if it's not reliable or accurate, then it's a problem. So you want to make sure that that's um, really uh, refreshed. On my list, I would say number seven is you should be pulling out your BIAs and your business continuity plans, so your business impact analysis and your business continuity plans. And I would look through everything through the lens of an infectious disease. What, what are the potential impacts? And many times business continuity plans are really not written for something like a large number of people not being able to come to work or not able to work. Number eight on my list is I would really encourage you to reach out to all your critical third-party vendors. Uh, it is super common now around the world that everybody is very reliant on other uh, companies to provide services for them. Uh, and what's going on with them? And what kind of plans do they have in place? And what's going on for, with their perspective of this disease outbreak? If your third-party vendor is critically impacted, uh, that could be a huge issue for you. And so do not be flat-footed. I'd be reaching out to all of them right now. Uh, you should inventory, number nine, you should inventory your, uh, uh, do an inventory of your personal protective equipment, uh, mask, gloves, hand sanitizers, first aid supplies. Really hard to get masks, really hard to get gloves right now in the U.S. And there's a reason for that. Not only are people panicked and everybody buying them, but guess where they all come from? Yes, China. I think 90% of all the masks uh, made are made in China now in the United States. So that actually could actually be a crisis in healthcare if we run out of those things for hospitals and people that need them uh, on a daily basis. And then lastly, number 10, I would really encourage all of your um, uh, information security professionals to really increase your, your screening. There are a ton of new scamming and new hacker um, efforts now using the virus actually um, as a way to build off people's anxieties. There's fake websites, there's phishing emails about more information on the coronavirus, there's all kinds of hoaxes. And I've had some of my uh, CISO buddies say to me that that's become a problem because people are uh, building off the anxieties that we all have. 
And so, um, again, you know, hackers and scammers uh, look in the news and they're just as smart like anybody else and, and they should, um, and they try and take an opportunity and, and work it. So those are 10 things I would recommend all your folks to do right now. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.